Blog Talk Radio. season will we end this year's baseball season the same way you will have to tune in in approximately 90 minutes where we will make our selections and Jake has already given me his if you've checked out the uh, Seth and Sean Sports radio show Facebook page he was whispering sweet baseball predictions in my ear earlier this this afternoon baseball predictions dude baseball predictions anyway that being said, welcome to the Seth and Sean Sports Radio Show. Sean Palmer, Seth Kamins. How you doing, bud? Uh, living the dream, man. Living the dream. College basketball is done. Baseball is on. I am so excited. I have no idea where to stand. Hold on a second. You are on hold for some reason and not in, not working. For some reason, I cannot get Seth on the show. Hold on, maybe we got, it still says on hold. I am hanging up on Seth, and he will call back. So anyway, Seth was supposedly talking about um, living the dream and the fact that he's in the worst part of his busy season. But you know what, we'll just make fun over a couple of minutes because I am actually in the apartment with Seth today. So we are communicating while the dog is sleeping on the couch, maybe. Is she dead? Nope, she's alive. And the baby is playing with Seth's shoes. After taking one, no, we're not going to go there. This is a PT dirt. Okay, so Seth, are you there? I am here in body. I can hear you. I sound like Eddie Murphy in coming in America, coming to America. The royal penis is clean, sire. <laughs> anyway, so I think you said this was a PG said, show. It is, but you know what, Seth? We should stop listening to the show and just start talking to each other because we're going to have that delay that we always have when we're in the same room. So stop listening to your phone and just start listening to me. I never want to listen to you. I know, I know. Anyway, so possibly the worst NCAA championship game ever. I watched none of it. I will will love the fact that I watched none of it. And I'll let Seth talk all about that in a second. Tony Romo's retirement, much to the chagrin of many a Giant fan. No, actually, <laughs> actually not at all. Much to the chagrin of one Phil Sims, and we can get to that in a second. And much, much, much more to talk about baseball, some LPGA. Yeah, that actually does. LPGA, Ladies Professional Golf Association. Seth and I have differing views on what happened over the weekend. Phil Michael support Seth and of course and we're on so let's talk about the NCAA tournament so a tournament I did not have much of 
It turned out the Orange sat out, and according to Joe Leonardo, we'll be sitting out next year as well, which I don't really disagree with at this moment. A boring tournament, not many buzzer beaters. The women had one, not the men. We'll probably talk a little bit about that as well. well we probably should. But, Seth, tell me about last night's game. I watched it in a 30-minute clip, the whole thing in 30 minutes. And from uh, from what you have told me and from what I have seen on the Facebook uh, world today, I didn't miss very much. You didn't. It was the it was the worst. It, it was a hard game to to fat to watch. It was, and yes, as most of you know, my feelings for North Carolina are pretty pretty well known. But this is a team that won looking awful in two games. Looked terrible against the depleted Oregon game. Oregon team only Kennedy Meeks showed up, and. Did not look very good. Neither team looked very good last night. But I'm not sure as much how much that had to do with them versus the refs, who probably called every single foul known to man in a just a game that had no rhythm. Although the first half wasn't bad, the second half was just unwatchable. If you watched it for 30, if you watch a 30 minute recap, that was probably a seventh of the time it felt like to watch the entire game. Um, bad calls, too many calls. Bad everything. Uh, congrats to Roy Williams, though. Three national championships. You know, my feelings aside, there's not much, there's not much you can really say um, to to exclude him from maybe not the top tier of the Wooden Shashevsky, but he certainly could, there's not too many other coaches you can really put that far ahead of him at this point. Despite my feelings, you know, and you know my feelings on this. Ladies and gentlemen, 2017 brings out an apology from Sean regarding Tom Brady and a quasi-apology <laughs> coming from Seth Kamen's about Roy Williams. And Seth, what will get him there? So he has not only a win this year, but he has 1.3 seconds away from one last year. So back-to-back title games. Don't we talk about this often? We do. Because we talk about the best in the world, the best in history, blah, 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 blah. And Connecticut, we'll talk about in a second, women being the best in history. Because this mortal sin of every Jets fan into Tom Brady is the best ever. Because a Super Bowl victory this year got him there. <laughs> what gets Roy? Nothing. He needs to win five more championships and he won't get there? Over Wooden, who won 10 out of 12, and Wooden, who built the program, as okay. opposed to Roy Williams, who did not. Okay, and Krzyzewski? He would probably be in the same tier as Krzyzewski. Okay. In that one slash two. Three. But so again, it's harder for me to do to say this, because Krzyzewski built a, comp- built a team that was 8-20 his first year. It was almost run out. It was almost hung in effigy three years in. Roy went, from, went to two of the five biggest basketball schools in the country. Roy also went to a tournament team when he came. He was at North Carolina. Who cares? Seriously. Um, okay. I understood. Okay. 
Carolina was not a bad program. Carolina had a year or two hiccup. They were not a bad program. He inherited a mediocre team that had a bad year. Yeah, yeah. So, but it's not the same as building an entire team. Duke was eight and twenty and hadn't been the. Admittedly, they were in the finals actually three years, three or four years before Shashevsky came. But the three or four years before that, they were garbage. UCLA had never done anything, as far as I know, as far as I can think of, before Wooden came in. Okay. Did you just put Norm Nixon as a reason why he can't be a top point guard? He was an average player. It was 79 and 80, the team, the NBA sucks. But you're also talking a player versus a coach. It's not the same. Would you put well, – first of all, stop arguing Jamal Wilkes. Jamal Wilkes was a, he was a Hall of Famer. He was a – better than average player. We're, he's a Hall of Very Good, not a Hall of Great. We're not going to have that discussion. Is Jamal Wilkes even a Hall of Famer? Are you sure? I wonder if it's more because of UCLA than because of his professional. Right. Wow. 
the Gonzaga athletic director who told them to take the deal. I mean, simply saying there's nothing we can do on this. And you'd be silly not to take it. Uh, Dan Munson, of course, fails in Minnesota for all intents and purposes is mediocre at uh, Long Beach State, where I think he is now, if he, has, if he wasn't recently let go, I'm not sure. Still there? Um, and then Mark Few, who is his assistant, takes over and has led this team. Now, Munson took a team in 1990. I'm not even logged in. Well, it looks like it's just me for now. Or are we on pause? Okay, so apparently... There we go. So apparently Jake, Jake disconnected us. I'm, blame, I'm putting all the blame on my son. So, yeah, so Mark Few comes in. Dan Munson leads the team to the final eight in 98, I want to say. And then go, goes to Minnesota, five years there, 10 years at, Cal, at uh, Long Beach State. Mark Fuke comes in and builds this team to the idea of a mid-major is, you know, not, they're not a mid-major. They're just a powerhouse. At this right. Point. They're beyond the mid-major. And they, they're in the WCC, correct? Yeah. So you, if there is more expansion, which there may or may not be, the Pac-10 may be looking at that. I think the problem is with they no have, football. there's no football, so it's a pretty difficult draw. Um, I think if the Pac-10 expanded, the team that they would go for would be BYU. And Texas. Yeah, and Texas. They tried to get Texas forever. Yeah. But, okay, so so we've covered the men's basketball, but the women had a little bit more of an upset than I was looking for. Their tournament, for the first time in over 800 games. 800 days. 800 days, excuse me, 800 days. The UConn women the Goliath of all sporting, the best team since UCLA. The best team ever, probably. Yeah, I mean, just, okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. The most dominating team ever, certainly. Loses to Mississippi State and Dak Prescott, who <laughs> they seem to show more times than they did any other player, on a last-second shot in one of the – more exciting games that I've seen in college basketball in some time. Yeah, I, it takes a lot for me to IM Sean. And you can hear Jake's excitement about it. To, I, to IM Sean, say, put on this women's game. Because neither of us, to be honest, watch a lot of women's college basketball. And my wife, who turned over and said, good Lord, don't you watch enough of this crap to begin with? And I said, but UConn's losing. She goes, so? My wife, the sports fan. The irony was I was actually with a UConn alum at a bar, and we, he was more interested in the game than I was, but we watched the game, and he said something that was prophetic. He said they had to lose sometime, and they did, and that's what Gino Ariamba said, and I was very surprised but also proud of, of his speech after. I was impressed. Yeah, I think that might have been the worst, where he said to his girls, he said, guys, Say girls, but whatever. I'm paraphrasing. Guys, this is life. You win and you lose. What we've done over the last 800 days is basically what Sean does on vacation. He goes on vacation. It's not reality. It's fantasy land. You lose when you're in real life. And props to him. 
because you could have been very angry with the way that that game ended. You could have been very disappointed in your team. There were a number of emotions that could have come over, especially if you're a coach like Gino Ariema. And he chose to take that and teach his kids. And at the end of the day, and we love saying at the end of the day, it seems like that's our, our saying here. That it is, is what it is. It is what it is. That is what a coach is supposed to be. A coach is a teacher. I know we don't think about it that way very often, but especially in college, a coach is not only a basketball coach. He is he or she is a person that you look up to, that you trust, and that you learn about life from. And Gino Oriama certainly taught his players uh, a lesson in life that night. Very impressed. And the, the irony, of course, being that this was something that I kind of figured was going to happen. They were so burned out from that game that I actually watched the national championship against South Carolina, and they looked terrible to the point where the girl, Monica William, who hit the game-winning shot, was benched for the entire fourth quarter. And South Carolina was pretty was for all intents and purposes in control of the game throughout one by 12. Which, which if you think about it, think about all the upsets in semifinal games throughout the course of history and how many times those teams do lose in the finals. And it makes those winners, such as the 1980 Olympic team, which is the number one upset of all time. And as Herb Brooks said in the locker room later that day, this game against Russia means nothing unless we beat Finland, which was the gold medal game. So it just, it takes so much more out of you to do that. Yeah. But what is interesting is when you, not that when you think back, like for, for college basketball, for women's college basketball fans, when you think back five years from now, 10 years from now, what are you really going to think of? Are you going to remember who won the national title game? Right. You're going to remember UConn. You're going to remember UConn lost. That's what you're going to remember. So the college basketball is over. And I guess what I got disconnected on early on was my wife is excited because in her mind, college basketball is done. Football is done. There's not that much left for me to watch on TV anymore. Did it end just as tax season ends. So Meanwhile, we're, we're in Seth's apartment on the 55-inch, 50-inch uh, TV, and baseball's on, so I'm a happy camper here. Well, that's why I put it on. So, Or I could put on the NBA, but we'll, we'll talk NBA probably quite a bit over the next couple of weeks. NFL draft preview coming will come up soon as well. Yeah, that's within a month. Yeah, I know. Uh, that's yeah. good stuff. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Maybe we'll do better than we did on any other draft or – Oh, well, was the last year we were terrible. Or is, we're not usually very – we're decent. We've had, you've had one phenomenal year. Yeah, I think I got like 92% one year. But we'll, we'll do better this year. We'll put a little bit more uh, little bit more work into it. So we have baseball to talk about, but we're not going to keep going there. What we need to talk about is a – first of all, if you'd like to call in 760-283-0846. We're going 90 minutes today. Because there are some interesting topics that Seth and I disagree on. Now, we disagree a lot in life. Yes. Uh, we agree a lot in sports. Yeah, sometimes. What we don't agree on is what happened this past weekend in golf. Yes, and we bring up golf about as often as we bring up MMA. I think we talk about MMA more, you know, as often as we talk about curling. This one's a rarity. So I had there. And for, so for those of you who are not familiar, I'll let Sean tell the story. 
and then I'll kind of I'll kind of respond. But the gist of it was Alexi uh, Thompson had a three-stroke lead in the in the four in the final round of one of the one of the majors. And Sean, so she had a four four-stroke lead, and this is in the final round. So this is on Sunday, and the LPGA got an anonymous email that said, hey, LBTA, on Saturday, Ms. Thompson did not place the ball in the right spot. So she put down a marker, which was a coin, and when she picked the coin up, she didn't put the ball back in the right spot. So what happened was that proceeded as planned for Thompson. She didn't think she did anything wrong, and then signed a scorecard with the same strokes that she believed she had. So here we come Sunday, and the tour director walks up to Thompson and says, we have this problem. Number one, you committed an error in your placement of the ball. And number two, you signed a scorecard that because of your error in placement of the ball, you should have been deducted two strokes. And thus, because you signed an error scorecard, you get another two-stroke penalty. So she was not only not in the lead anymore, she was tied. She lost four strokes. I don't have a problem with the first two strokes. If there was an error made, there was an error made. I don't have a problem with that. The fact that she lost two more strokes because of an errant scorecard, I agree with you on that she shouldn't have been deducted. Seth's argument is that you shouldn't be deducted because somebody calls in and sees something on video. Okay, yeah. First of all, if you saw the play, or you saw, did you see how, how far the ball moved? If that, doesn't it? It was okay. It didn't change. I think it's a little bit generous, even. And now I'm not a golfer, and I I'm not a. So I I. I why is fun? Why, why are you laughing? There's just so many jokes when you said an inch is generous. <laughs> huh? I have no idea what he's talking he's about. He's ladies uh, and gentlemen. He's just not in the dirty frame of mind anymore. Gone. Was I ever in the dirty frame? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, actually, <laughs> I, was. I was very much in the dirty frame of mind. But in my mind, the idea that a random person can email the LPGA and say 24 hours after the fact that this is being changed is ridiculous. First of all, if, even if, now I disagree on the penalty. I certainly disagree on the, the you know to me the scorecard issue is if it's a specific if it's something neg- something that's done purposely or something along those lines. This was at worst this was a borderline call. So to add into the extra is just is salt on the wound. But think about it logically. This per- Lexi Thompson, in her mind, had a four-stroke lead. Now, if you're playing to win a major. Now, are you going to play a little bit differently as it having a four-stroke lead versus having versus versus not versus being tied? Of course, you are. You're going to do things differently. The whole her whole way of playing was was pretty much would have been would have been different. And based upon this, you can't do this three quarter. You can't make this move. If I don't think it should have gone through in the first place, I think it's ridiculous. But in my mind, if you're gonna if you're gonna make this penalty. You have to do it before the fourth round starts. You cannot do it three-quarters of the way through when she's made specific shots, she's taken different routes, different, made different, had different options. 
where she could have gone in, in, in a variety of ways. This ruins the way she would have pushed. She was playing. Now, she was able to pull herself together and made a playoff, which she lost. But to me, this is the whole the idea of it is bad enough, but the timing of it in the middle of, I mean, it's just unfathomable. Okay, so we compare sports to sports all the time. So let's bring this in, into the NCAA basketball or pro basketball. Okay. Okay, three-pointer, foot is on the line. Play, uh, they don't call a timeout right away. They play until the next stoppage of play, and then they go back and check. Yes. So they don't disrupt the, the flow of the game. Agreed. Okay? So you do that, and the game ends. And all of a sudden, they go back, and they find that it was a three and not a two. So the game's over. Yes. Because it was a tie game. Okay? Would they not have played differently after that if there was no stoppage in play? Yes. They would have obviously played different if they were down one as opposed to being tied. Okay. So how is that to your – look, I agree with you. I'm playing devil's advocate here that there should be a time frame in which it stops, like either the beginning of the round, the middle of the round, whatever. But the point is you play differently. Same thing applies in hockey, in baseball, in basketball, any time there's a replay. Again, but when there's replay two minutes after, three minutes after, five minutes after. after the game. You can't. Well, you can't replay. You can only go back so far. You're not. You can't you go back to the last stoppage in play. Right. Fine. So, but you're not going to go back to the first half to look at something after the game is over. Well, no, you're not going to make a change with three minutes to go on something that happened eight minutes in. No, you're not. And, which I understand. Which I understand. And if they made again, I disagree with the rulings. I think the idea of someone emailing in, I think, is insane. But if they're going to say, okay, if you don't have that time frame between, before they start the fourth round, this is over. The OPG. No. The rule. The, the rule. Oh, I don't think she should. I don't think she should have been deducted. What you're asking, my opinion, opinion is the LPGA, if the LPGA, the officers, or officials, excuse me. Good, agreed. Let me finish. The L, but if a random person is calling the LPGA officials to tell them that something is wrong, that is not, that is not acceptable. That is not acceptable. The rule is wrong. Can I call the LP? Can I call the PGA now and just, or can I call the LPGA and say, "Hey, I don't know, uh, whatever, Sarah Pack is on cocaine." Like, I mean, literally, we're set. You can come and call and say anything you want. I have a video of her snorting coke. Am I? But am I? Am I? Is it, to me, this whole idea is, is ridiculous. It is not my job. It is, not, it is the LPGA's job to determine these things. It is not fans' job to call in and to send videos or to, sh- to tell people this, that, or the other thing. We're fans for a reason. I just can't imagine how, why this rule would be implemented like this in the first place. I love that Jake just climbs up, climbs to, to chew on the table, and Sean pulls away the remote. 
Because he wants to keep the Yankee game on. <laughs> no. So put on another game. They're all in one. You mean they're not going to the World Series? Not this decade. We'll get to that in a little while. See, for all, for whoever, whoever hacked in and is disconnecting Sean's phone, well done, sir, or ma'am, I should say. Um, so, this, yeah, this, this to me was just a dis, was disgusting. And, and, I mean, just to jump topic a little bit, because as we said, we're going 90 tonight, so 45 minutes on baseball, and we, we, could, we, could do a, we could do a two-hour show without a problem. But Tony Romo retire, is, retires. Um, now I don't, we don't know this to become the, apparently the number one announcer at CBS, which is a little confusing. Did he retire because he was exasperated with Jerry Jones for not releasing him so he could go play with the, did he just decide that, you know what, I'm either going to be a cowboy or I'm nothing because look, this is a guy who could have started for a playoff team in, in Houston. Did Jerry Jones not want him in Houston? Did Jerry Jones not want him in Denver? You know, how this played out was just very very elongated and very strange. Well, I don't think there was any doubt that Jerry Jones didn't want him in Houston. Come on. You don't think there's an impact if he leads the Texans to the Super Bowl in the state that Dallas is in? Oh, but there – hold on. There are – it doesn't impact them on the field. That's what I'm talking but about. The off the field, all Jerry Jones cares about is money, right? We've, we've established that Jerry Jones cares about money. How much money can these teams make? And part of that is the Raiders going to Vegas, nobody coming to San Antonio, right? The Raiders not coming to San Antonio, which would have impacted his market share. A lot of fans in the in the Texas area are Tony Romo fans. They're not necessarily Dallas Cowboys. Fans. Oh, I disagree with you on that. It's a Cowboys. The, the Cowboys. The, the Cowboys are. It's, it's look. Obviously, as we know, fantasy sports have really. Oh, I'm taking away from fantasy. I'm not even talking about. What I'm saying. Well, I'm going with. Fan, I'm not. I'm not talking about from a fantasy perspective. What I'm saying is, fantasy football has made people fans of players, not of teams. Agreed. But. The Cowboys kind of Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, the Cowboys kind of supersede that, though. They are quote unquote America's team, who have been well. They're America's team who have won two playoff games in twenty years, but they're still America's team. Ladies and gentlemen, the Giants fan putting that little dig in. If you'd like to call and object to his, uh, what, what am I going to say, uh, favoritism? Towards the Giants, please do so. Seven six zero two eight three zero eight four six. Okay, continue on. I'm seriously wondering if people know the show is on tonight. Weird. Um, <coughs> so to me, Tony Romo, well liked, no question. Very good quarterback for many years, no question. But him going to Houston, yes, if he led Houston to a to a championship, to a Super Bowl, would it would it be neg- would it negatively impact the Cowboys? Of course, a bit. You can give me the look all you a want. A bit? A bit. That's the Cowboys, called throwing mud 
on Jerry Jones's face. So you think that he what, he, what Jones did was correct by holding him pretty much? The idea is that he held him for all intents and purposes and was not going to let him go to Houston. Correct in what vein? <clears throat> what are you looking for correct meaning what? From a professional capacity, from, okay, a loyalty to Romo capacity, from a loyalty to the Cowboys capacity. I'm asking your opinion. I, look, if you're looking at Jerry Jones's business interests, what he did was 100% correct. If you're looking at are you being fair to a player, no, he was 100% wrong. If you're looking at are you being fair to your fans, 100% correct. If you're looking at, did he do it in the best interest of the Cowboys? Absolutely he did. But, again, what is right and what is wrong, morally, what he did was absolutely crappy to Tony Romo, a guy that sacrificed his his career for the Dallas Cowboys and his back and his long-term health. Yeah, but this is sports. This is not – Fair enough. It's life, right? You work 20 years at a place, they'll fire you the same way they would fire anybody else these days. This is not GM and you have 30 years in a pension. It doesn't work that way anymore. No, it doesn't. And especially in the NFL with no guaranteed contracts, this is the way it is. So I don't have a problem with what he did. And you saw today when Tony Romo took the CBS job, he, was, he didn't want to play football. He could – Dallas was going to release him at some point. There was no way they were holding on to him for within $19 million million salary cap number at some point. So if Houston really wanted to to wait out, they could have. And I think they wanted him. You just – look, the offer was too good to be true. You get – there are a lot of people that don't like Phil Simms and the job that he's done. I think the majority of the people that watch CBS don't like Phil Simms and the job that he does. He's done. But, the but, majority, but they've been complaining for 20 years, and he hasn't lost his job. Yeah. Talk about job security. The, the majority, everyone complains about announcers, from Chris Collinsworth to Al Michaels to Bob Costas to – But here's the question. How many of those announcers have lost their job because of complaints? None. No, not true none. Collinsworth, no. Monday Night Football. Dennis Miller, you're talking about? Ron Jaworski. Dennis Miller. No, no, no. Tony Kornheiser. I'm just saying there have been guys that have lost their jobs, but it's few and far between. And these are are not announcers by trade. These are color guys. Kornheiser is a newspaper guy who does – he's not a football analyst. Agreed. Dennis Miller was a comedian – before Jaworski became, was the most talented Jaworski guy I've ever was, seen. But Jaworski, the way Jaworski, I like Jaworski. So do I. But the way he does analysis is probably not meant. Right, it's too in-depth for, for the normal for casual fan. So the fact is they have job security up the wazoo. Yeah. Kind of what I'm getting at. So if you're Tony Romo and you're given $6 million a year and reports, there are no reports on salary, but let's assume it's over four. Okay. Okay. $5 million a year for the next 20 years of your life and never have to be hit by another defensive end again. And your back is completely healthy the rest of your life. And you're playing golf the way you want to. And better yet, you only have to work eight months out of the year. Wouldn't you take that over being bludgeoned by JPP for one more year and hope that your back holds up? I would. 
again, it depends. It depends like everything else. There are certain people who can't walk away. And props to Romo for being able to. Or limp away. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the point, right? He didn't walk away completely healthy. This guy hasn't played a full year in four well, years. Well, actually, that's why I think he's probably pretty healthy at this point. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. He has not taken, while he's been injured, he has not taken the constant beating. Correct. Correct. So what happens to Phil Sims? I think if you want to talk about a team or a business that handled something poorly, let's talk about CBS for a second. So you have Phil Sims who not many people liked. Well, not many. There were people that did not like him. I did not mind him. I do not think that there is a color commentator that does a very good job to begin with. It's called Captain Obvious. Okay? There is a story on hardballtalk.com today which, which promotes the one announcer booth, which says this guy should one guy should tell the story of the game. We don't really need color commentary because if you're watching a game, you can basically see what's going on. Maybe a tidbit here, a tidbit there, but color commentary has come a long way in the last 25 years and not for the good. No. Not every single play needs color commentary. Well, that was why if you saw the Doris Burke, uh, the, I guess it was, I guess it's not Vine anymore, but the video of her in Carol Lawson when Monica Williams hit the championship, hit the shot to beat UConn. It. it was great. Lawson made the comments. You see Doris and Kara kind of gasp and kind of go, and then just let Dave, do, let, let Dave O'Brien do his thing. Yep. They're not interfering. They're not intervening. You know, the idea of, the idea of just this constant needing, everyone needing to hear, everyone going over somebody else's voice on TV especially is just not necessary. That's why Vince Scully was so good. I mean, I really believe that's why Vince Scully was so good because he let the moment rule the roost. And if you recall after, well, it looks like the Yankees hit a home run just now. Yep. Who is that, Didi? I think so. Number 74. <laughs> the only number that hasn't been retired yet. Are you kidding me? They have a guy actually starting that's wearing number 74. You don't have to look it up. We'll see who the number is momentarily. Oh, I absolutely think that this is his And number 99 was the guy on base. Well, that's Aaron Judge. Judge. I know yeah. 99. he's like 6'9". Yeah, he's like 6'9". But who the heck is 74? Hold on a second. We may or may not see that, but I will certainly have it. 74 Yankees. Let's see if uh, yes helps me out first. 74 on the Yankees roster. Nope, it went to 1974. That's probably the last time they had a 74. Oh, there was a Ronald Torres. Ronald who? <laughs> 74 is Ronald Torres. He's five foot eight and 151 pounds. 151 pounds. So the guy he brought in, he was actually almost half the size of. Yeah, look at it. He's a tiny little thing. Well, Doug is... 6'7", 250. 6'7", 280. So he's actually double the size. He's almost half the size. So anyway. But, um, yeah, one-person boots. He advocated for that. I don't see a problem with a two-person booth as long as the second person just shuts up half the time. No need... Like on, on Vince Scully's call of Kirk Gibson's home run, he just let it go. He let the crowd take it. Especially on TV, you don't need to say a lot. 
If you're Phil Sims, you can give me a little X's and O's, but you don't have to give me everything. Well, that's also the reason why I have really no interest in listening to watching pregame stuff, because you have five people trying to talk over each other. Most of them are not giving really Look at this. He is half the size. That's <laughs> funny. He had to get on his tippy toes to reach Aaron Judd on a high five. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. That's why watching the pregames to me is unbearable, other than for needing it for fantasy stuff. Because to listen to these guys talk, it's nothing that any of us don't know. Every once in a while, as you said, Jaworski will come up with something that's interesting. Um, because he is, his, his, the in-depth that, in that he goes to is just beyond typical. But everything else is based on the same thing that we see. Look, if we interviewed you know, a football player for three minutes, we get the same answer. And so to me, that's why watching pregame is just impossible, just unwatchable for me. The answer should be, yes, I will sign my exclusive tender. Yes, I will be healthy all year. Yes, I will score 16 touchdowns. Yes, you will win the fantasy championship. Thank you, Le'Veon Bell. Those would be the answers that I would hope to get someday. Maybe we'll have Le'Veon Bell or Antonio Brown on the show one day. How awesome would that be? We can we could thank them up and down. <laughs> Nabate Alice, can you hook us up? Uh, we'll or Randy Zelia, can you hook us up? Seriously, somebody. Okay, baseball is upon us. Uh, wow, what a reaction. We're talking baseball. Hey. <laughs> Three, four! Sean to be uh, emceeing your, your baseball <laughs> fantasy draft. Please call in at 760-283-084. If you're doing a baseball fantasy draft now, ladies and gentlemen, you've missed the boat. Yeah, two games in. It's another six months. This means you can get Tanaka cheaper. <laughs> oh, and can you? Okay, so to you, to our resident Yankee fan, not expert fan. Agreed who's wearing a 49ers t-shirt, which I know has nothing to do with San Francisco. I think it's UNC Charlotte. UNC Charlotte. I've seen allusions to the Yankees making the playoffs this year. Somewhere. I saw it on Facebook today. Do you have any allusions to this happening? No. You look at this team. (laughs) (laughs) Jake apparently agrees, although hopefully we'll get him to a Yankee game this year. Well, it won't matter. The tickets will be like four forty-five. That is probably true. Or they may have Aaron Judge's weight being the ticket price at two eighty-two. Dollars <laughs> and eighty-five cents. There you go. No, I mean you look at the team. 
they have mediocre pitching. They have a great. They do have a very very good relief core. Got to get there. I I'm conceding that point with Severino, Batances, and Chapman. Unless Severino may be the five, the fifth starter right now. It goes back and forth. I look at the lineup, and I I I, I don't see anything. I, I just don't. You know, Greg Bird could you know has some potential although after being hurt all last year. And they have a look. They have a lot of young talent. A lot. Um, Sanchez behind the plate. They have a lot of people in the, you know, after trading Andrew Miller and Aronis Chapman during the last year, you have guys like Frazier and Gleyber Torres. And, you know, they're in the Yankee, Yankee farm systems, I think, top three or four right now. But this team is not going anywhere. They're in middle of the road, 75 to 80. Maybe maybe 75 to 85 win team. And I think that's even stretching it. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, is it possible for the – it's just as possible for them to make the playoffs in the American League as it is for them to finish in last place. I mean – Yeah, they're not that good or that bad. And that is different for Major League Baseball than it is for any other team any other sport because you don't need to have the number one pick in the draft. You, nope. The, the draft is top and it's pretty much in tiers. So you have 10, 10, and 10. So who do you have winning? We're not going to go through every single team this year because we think that a, you get bored. Do you not want to hear, wait, do you not want to hear my analysis of the Cincinnati Reds? I don't, don't want to hear your analysis of the Tampa Bay Rays. <laughs> but no, we're not going to go through that. We're going to pick our division winners. We're going to pick our wild cards, and then we may pick a surprise team here and there. But who do you have winning the East? It's the Red Sox division. Uh, you look at the pitching staff trading for Chris Sale. Uh, they, they have David Price. They have Porcello. They still they have the great young outfielders and Mookie Betts and Jackie Bradley. The big rookie coming in, Andrew. I don't know how to pronounce it. Benamente, something along those lines. Sure, as good as any. Yeah. Um, just call him Andrew. That works well. They still have some so, some of the good some of the solid veterans in um, in Pedroia. The team is the team is solid. They have Kimbrel as the reliever in a division that is relatively middle of the road. Their talent, they have the best talent, and I think they win for all intents and purposes going away. By the way, Jake did pick the Red Sox to win the World Series. Just want you're to not my son. Absolutely, picked the Red Sox to win the World Series. I agree with you. Red Sox win this division. I don't see them running away with it, though. You think Toronto gives them a run? Yeah, I do. I, I like Toronto. Toronto lo- loses Edwin Encarnacion, replaces him with Kendrick Morales. Not that much of a step down. It's a step down. It is a step down. But it's not that much. And I think Aaron Sanchez, without being on an in- a pitching in- innings limit this year, will win 20 games or come close to it. And with him and Stroman, I think they – they have just as good a pitching as the Red Sox do. Look, it could be. Price is out for at least a month, if not longer than that. And I'm, I'm wondering if he if he's more rep than anything else. I would agree with that. And Porcello, let's think about it this way: Chris Archer, who went nine and nineteen last year, and Chris, and, or I'll give you a better example: Julio Tehran, who is a pitcher for the Braves. Yep. Julio Tehran, I believe, won 7-10 and 10 last year. Julio Tehran, in his 150 innings of work, 
was given 74 runs to work with. Yeah. Just think about that, right? So they were shut out a lot with him. Rick Porcello was given the most runs in the – It's the Bob Welch syndrome. He had like six runs per game. Per game. And you, that's for him. That's not for the whole game. That's for him. Well, you're familiar with the Bob Welch syndrome? Yeah, when he went 25 and 7. 27 and 10. No, definitely not 27 and 10. No chance. Uh, Sean is looking this up. And it's very rare where I get the chance to potentially humble Sean in baseball. No chance. I'm pretty sure I got him on this one. No way. So he's going to look it up. He was the last guy to win 25 games, but he definitely did not win 27. Wait, go back up. Web leagues and wins. 27. Web league and wins. 27. 27 and 10? Wait a second. 27 and 10. There's no way that happened. Hold on a second. We're going to get to the bottom of this. You, You are correct, obviously. He has 27 wins. There's no way he pitched in 37 games that year. 27 and 6. He won 27 games. <laughs> I win my argument. He won 27 in games. But the argument was that both Dave Stewart, who was a teammate of his, yep. and Roger Clemens had better years. But you couldn't take the Cy Young away from a guy who had 27 wins. So, to that point, Welch came in first. He went 27-6 and six with a 2.95 ERA. Clemens came in second, who went... 21 and 6, so six less wins, but had a 1.93 RA. And Stewart came in third at 22 and 11, maybe that's your 11 losses, with a 2.56 RA. Generally, war is wins above replacement, as most people know. Right. It's a saber metric pool, but it, it basically tells you. Exist in 1990. Right, but, it's, but they can go back yeah. and go do this, and they've done it. And just to give you a comparison, so Bob Welch's, Welch's war was 3.0, to your point, the lowest of the three. Dave Stewart's was 5.2, and Clemens was 10.6. <laughs> well, you ought to have to remember that Clemens and Stewart were the aces of the team and play usually pitching against aces. Bob Welch is, I think, the number three guy, actually, for a lot of the year. Well, of course, we have Welch had 127 strikeouts. Clemens had 209. <laughs> And Stewart had 166. Welch gave up 26 home runs. <laughs> Clemens gave up seven. <laughs> like, this is one of those, holy cow, how could they have gotten this wrong? But there were a number of those over the course right. of the years. The, 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 the statistical anomalies have kind of come more into play as the favorite metrics have come in. Agreed. Which, actually, this is a good place to stop for a second, and we have to uh, talk about Pedro Guerrero. So I'm not sure you know. So Pedro Guerrero had a stroke. I did know that. Okay. So Pedro Guerrero, you know what? We'll leave this for the for the end. Okay. So Pedro Guerrero was one of the most feared players that I recall. Okay. Let's move on to the Central, which is the crap division in the AL East, as it always is. Not the AL East. In the AL, and it and it always is. I mean, you got Kansas City, who is a good team, not a great team, a good team. You got. Detroit, who is a shitty, but crappy team. Wow, I really did say that. I don't know if they're a crappy team. They're old. They're old, they're old and decrepit. Like the oldest was. Oh, that's not nice. Well, he's not dead. Mr. He's not I, old you, can't, you can't be cool like that. And then you have two obviously rebuilding teams in Chicago and Minnesota. Minnesota really rebuilding. Perpetually they just, rebuilding. I was going to say, when you're rebuilding for 15 years, you're not really rebuilding. You're just bad. 
And that's why, Chicago, that's why Cleveland gets my World Series vote, because they play in a bad division, and they play these guys over and oh, over Cleveland. and over. Oh, I'm not disagreeing with you that Cleveland's gonna, Cleveland is my World Series pick as well. Yeah. Um, they're, I mean, they, look, they were within an inning of, of winning a World Series without their best player, without two of their best starters. Yep. And now they get a player. Now they got Encarnacion at first base. You get back Michael Brantley. You have you get back uh, Dan, was it Danny Duffy and, and Salazar, Carlos Salazar, not Danny Duffy, Salazar. Danny Salazar. Danny Salazar. Carlos Carrasco. Okay, I was I was in the ballpark. Danny bar. Duffy, you're, you know, City. I am very impressed by the fact that he even knows that they're well, probably because his name is Duffy. <laughs> Duffier, Duffman, Duffman. Yeah, who signed a five-year contract? Right? Sixty-five million dollars. Where is my friend Seth? <laughs> anyway, okay. So I have Minnesota winning this. I believe you, you have. Min- I have Cleveland winning this. Uh, Cleveland you have winning. Minnesota winning. <laughs> if anyone wants to have drinks, more drinks with Sean, because apparently he's had a few. But on the bright oh side, God. if Minnesota wins the division, you're a bleeping genius. Wow. Okay. I. Okay. I have Cleveland winning as well. Okay, to go to the West, which may be the most exciting team in this division. division. In this league, and maybe the most exciting division it of is, all there are of three, baseball. There are three very good teams there. Yeah, and potentially a fourth. I mean, the Angels do have the best player in baseball. Yes. And they do have a number of good players that, if healthy, will do very well, especially their pitching staff. Gary Richards comes back off. Tommy John. Jags comes off. So they have a lot of maybes. But the other three, to my, in my opinion – the problem is they're going to kill each other. Yep. Much like the much like the AL East used to do, and much like the in the NBA the Atlantic Division used to do it with uh, with the Knicks and the Heat. I think you said the Knicks and the Sixers. No, that was a long way away from that. Knicks and Heat. They just kicked the crap out of each other, and that the Rangers and the Islanders. Sure. I mean, you have Houston, Texas, and the Mariners. Houston's the young guns. Seattle is the old people. In Texas. And Texas is kind of in the middle. So, I like Seattle this year. They are they are one bat away, one outfield bat away. And can they make that trade midseason to get an outfield bat? I don't know. But I like them this year. I don't like them winning this division. I like Houston winning the division. But I, I think Texas takes a step back. I still like Texas. I mean, yes, they have fielders obviously gone, but he had he was gone he had been two gone years ago for a while. Sorry, I just lost my train of thought on that. Um, you know, it, you look at some of the people they have. It's a pitching staff team. I think you know Cole Hamels has, and Darvish have to lead this team to you know to wherever they're going to go. It's going to be behind their pitching staff. Uh, Houston is a favorite. I would have them going as well. You know, Carlos Correa is probably one of the five best players in baseball. You still have a, you have a good pitching staff, McCullers, Kuchel. Um, you know, they're, they're not a championship caliber team yet, I don't think, but they do have some real talent. And so I have Houston winning the division as well. Okay. So move on to the National League. Wow, this National League East just stinks. <laughs> I, I just look at it over and over again, and when our good friend Abate Alves picks the Mets to win the World Series, look, I don't agree with that, but 
I don't see how the Mets don't make the playoffs with this division. So, as we said before, with the AL West, where teams just beat the crap out of each other, we said the same thing about the Central, where teams, where you have the Indians and maybe Detroit, if we're going to Kansas City, who are just going to beat the crap out of the White Sox and, and, and the Twins, and in a non-balanced schedule, where you pay, play your division more than any other division, when you're in a bad division, and you have bad teams in your division, you get a bonus. And the Mets have three bad teams in their division. Miami's reeling after losing Jose Fernandez. Philadelphia is gearing up for 2019. And the Braves, yeah, they have a new park, but now they have a collapsed freeway in front of it. Uh, not, not meant to be funny, but the again, fact is, they are a traffic jam. The entire team is led by Julio Tehran. Okay, good pitcher, really good pitcher. But their number two and number three were born before me. And one of them weighs almost twice my weight. Well, apparently so does Aaron Judge. Well, <laughs> let's put it this way. Their pitcher tomorrow weighs twice as much as me, almost twice as much. Their pitcher on Friday throws a ball slower than I do. So, I mean, and has more hair than I do. Well, that's a lot of people. But they have two 40-year-olds in their starting rotation in Bartolo Colon and Ari right, Dickey. Dickey. So they are just trying to get on to the next wave. They're very much like the Yankees right now, except they don't have the bullpen. And they don't live in New York, which means that they can afford to be back for one more year. And they will. Yeah, so, they're a team, again, building for 2019. 2019. So you got two teams building for 2019. So I think – the Nationals are the team to beat. They have been the team to beat for a couple of years. I still think they're the team to beat. The only problem that they have is a bullpen, but I still think that they are the number one team in this division, the Mets and number two. I hate agreeing with you. It's annoying. But, yes, but it's, it's kind so of blissful. Yes, because when I think of blissful, I think of Sean Palmer. Uh, yeah, I agree. So does every woman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And if you're any of those women who have ever found hanging with Sean Blissful, please call in at 760-283-0846. I cannot wait to talk to you. Um, Me you neither. Know, <laughs> not either. Uh, you know, Washington, does, I, I don't see them as strong as they have been in the last couple of years. Jason Worth is getting a bit older. Now, Harper, look, came off a mediocre year. Um, I still think there's – I look at the Mets – and, you know, I'll let you as a resident Mets fan discuss them a little bit. But as good as the staff could be, you know, I still – the lineup, I have no fear, fear of the lineup. Yeah, signing Cespedes is huge. Jay Bruce is just trade bait waiting to happen. You know, when you look at that team, I, I see – look, Syndergaard is a Cy Young candidate. DeGrom is a Cy Young candidate. Harvey, you don't know what you're going to get. Mets, you don't know what you're going to get. Wheeler should be back at some point. Who picks the two up? Wheeler's starting, and Mats is on the DL. Oh, okay. Well, Wheeler was out all of last year, though. Correct. So, and Gazellan is their fifth. And, look, the Mets have always been, for better or for worse, a team that struggles with runs. Even back in 86, they struggled with runs. Their pitching has forever led the team. The same thing applies this year. They're not the Bronx Bombers. But the Bronx Bombers the never. Bombers. But the, I was going in a different direction, but 
Yeah, the queen bees. We're not the queen bees. That's true. She's your queen to be. No, we started with. If you'd like to hear more singing from Sean, please call in at 760-283-0846. I'd be happy to serenade you. Anyway, the point being, they've never been a team with big bats. They've always, oh, you just got spit on in your face. That was pretty awesome. Good job, Jake. High five, baby. High five. There we go. That's it. Nothing like a little of that. Anyway, so the fact is the Mets have never been the team with the great hitting. We've always had one bopper and relied on him throughout. So hopefully with Lucas Duda healthy and, and Jay Bruce healthy, a little bit more protection. But you're right. I hope they do trade Bruce because Michael Conforto may be their best hitter. And he's a guy that's right now toiling on the bench or in the minors due to the fact that they have no place to play him. So, moving on to the Central Division, which probably is the the best division in the National League. So, the worst division in the American League, the best division in the National League. There is no mistaking that the Cubs are the best team in this division. None. In talent-wise, they are the best team in, in the majors. Can they succeed after last year? Uh, look, with they only got better. They didn't get worse. I mean, they got Wade Davis to replace Chapman, who I never thought was worth what Chapman was anyway. Agreed. They have another year of Rizzo, another year of Contreras behind home plate, who is a better player than David Ross. David Ross brought more to the table for John Lester, but Contreras is 20 homers, 100 RBIs. You have Kyle Schwarber for a full year. You lost Dexter Fowler, but you bring in Alberto Omora. Hayward has to be better than he was last year because he can't really be worse. And you have Chris Bryant being Chris Bryant, Zobrist. I mean, the talent goes over. Oh, that's a pretty play. That's a very pretty play. The talent, wow, CeCe looks like he needs a quadruple extra large. Anyway, if not more than that, he is. You know, if they ever make a remake of Fat Albert, he's got to be the guy. Anyway, the fact remains, the Cubs are the best team in that division, bar none. Yeah, there's really not much of a discussion about that. You know, Pittsburgh probably took a step back last year. It's a shame they were never really able to win a wild card game. Uh, The Cardinals are the Cardinals and will always always be dangerous. But yeah, it's like now the thing. The only thing that scares me. I look at the Cubs. Is your three best pitchers are old? Um, Arietta's over thirty. Lester's over thirty. Lackey feels like he's been around forever. Um, yeah. So that does that. That's I don't want to say that's scary because that's probably not. If that's the worst situation you have, you're doing okay. Um, but you know Rizzo is phenomenal. Chris Bryant still, I mean, is just going to get better coming off an MVP. You know, you look at the team and they're just stacked. And, you know, this is what Theo has built. And Madden, you know, despite the criticism, has won with. And there's no reason to think anything to the contrary, that they're not going to kind of cruise to the division. All they need is Bob Welch and they'll be fine. He can pick against their number four pitchers. We go. go 27 and six. I think he actually did. He was the fourth guy on that staff. Like, I don't even think he was the third guy. I think he was the fourth guy. I'm going to go look that up while we have a second. Hold on a second while we go through this. But I really think he was the fourth guy. And while he's looking that up, I'll talk a little bit about the NL West. 
where I think you got to say it's the Dodgers. It's the Dodgers. You know, you look, they're the best pitcher in baseball. They have so much outfield talent. They have so much young talent between Seager and Peterson. And you just go on and on and on. You know, Dave Roberts has done a nice job taking over for Mattingly as manager. It, the Giants always are always scary because of their pitching. And it, but in Colorado, finally, it looks like there's at least some potential for some stability in regards to their their offense is always phenomenal. Uh, behind Arenado, Nolan Arenado and DJ, how the hell do I pronounce his last name? Left on you. Thank you. Say that five times. Left and then talk about the Queen Bee. Talk about <laughs> There you go. It sounds like a bad techno song. Um, yeah, starting pitcher with John Gray. You know, there there is some hope at least. But it, I think it's, it's the Dodgers and the Giants, and for now, I still think it's, I think it's the Dodgers. Yeah, I, I got nothing um, as far as the athletics are concerned because we always have to answer our questions here. Uh, Stewart was obviously the number one. You can make a two and a three argument between either Bob Welch or Scott Sanderson. You haven't heard his name in a while. Sanderson went 17 and 11. Mike Moore went 13 and 15, and then Kurt Young went 9 and 6. And their whole starting staff was over 30. So uh, I'm not sure the Cubs starting staff is all over 30 this year because you do have Mike Montgomery in there. But they are close. Um, Hold on a second. Let me see. They are definitely close with that team because Arietta, I believe, is – Arietta, I believe, is 31. So uh, they don't have the 40-man roster. Here we go. Sorry, everybody. We'll get to you in a second. So (laughs) Montgomery is 27. Lester is 33. Nope, Kyle Hendricks is 27. Lackey is 38. Arietta is 31. But but the thing about Arietta is Arietta didn't throw many pitches when he was with Baltimore. And he's up for free agency at the end of this year. So, yeah, he's going to be the next $30 million a year pitcher, so if there is one. So I agree with you in regards to – see, here we go, agreeing again. I agree with you in regards to the National League West. It's the Dodgers to win. It's not even the Giants. It's the Dodgers. Because not only do the Dodgers have the talent, they have young talent with Corey Seager and Julio Arias, and they just got Logan Forsythe to play second base. They don't have holes, and they have unlimited funds. They are the Yankees from three years, four or five years ago that could you need a, you need a, a gun at the deadline. This is the team that's going to go get it because they're like that fantasy football draft that has $50 and everybody else needs one player and we need one, and we have $50. As I used to tell Seth, we own the draft. <laughs> so that's what they do. They own at least the free agency, and the, they have the prospects, and they have the money to pay them. And they can absorb a large contract, which I foresee them doing, even if they have to take one on. Who's the worst team in baseball? Hmm. Somehow the name the Milwaukee Brewers are coming to mind. I don't even know who they have at this point other than Ryan Braun, who's just is just kind of fallen purely into obscurity. I know that they're that they've built up their their uh, farm system quite a bit, 
but they're looking like a 60 and 100 kind of team, something along those lines. Um, that's in that. 60 and 100. You know how hard it is to be 60 and 100? I don't even think anybody last year lost 100 games. But I understand what you're saying. That, 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 that's a lot of loss. That's the one, you know, that crosses my mind. And in the American League, uh, there's no one in the East that's that bad. Um, Minnesota, I have no idea how to read Minnesota because they always have young talent. Just talent that doesn't seem to really develop. Well, this is Miguel Sano and Byron Buxton. Weren't they supposed to be like kind of to carry the, the torch from uh, what's his name from Joe Mauer? Yeah, but they're still pretty young players. Right, but this is like four years that they've been supposed to be doing well, this. Buxton's year was last year, so uh, his rookie year was last year. So, I mean, you got to get Buxton another year. But by the way, last year, okay, the Twins lost 103 games. Did anybody else lose 100? Hold on. We're getting it out. The Twins definitely lost 103. Nobody in the National League lost 103. 94 was the most. I'm just saying losing 100 games is kind of like winning 100 games. It's extremely hard to do. And the only team that did that last year was the Cubs. And Jake agrees. So, all right, the worst two teams for me, the two, look, I don't look at it as the worst teams. I look at it as the teams going nowhere. So not only – okay, so if we're going to do the worst teams as far as talent in the majors, right, that's what we're looking right now, the worst teams, talent in the majors, are the Padres in the National League. Who have, worse than the Reds? Yeah. Um, well, I was going to say the team that's going nowhere is the Reds. But that's not because they don't have talent. They just have – they're just mediocre. Like, and they have nothing coming up. So they are the team going nowhere. They are hamstrung by Joey Votto's contract. But Joey Votto has a no-trade clause, and they said, I'm not going anywhere. I have the best job in majors. I'm not expected to do anything. And I get $20 million, and I do something. He is. He's a 30-and-100 player that gets no recognition because he's in Cincinnati. The only recognition he ever gets is that he's Canadian. Really, he's the top, he may be the best Canadian player of all time at some point. Right now, it's Larry Walker. Okay, so in the American League, the worst team is the Twins, the worst or the White Sox. They may both they both both may be going like this. They both have good futures. I like their futures. The team with the worst future is the Athletics. The Athletics just have again mediocre. They can win time for Billy Bean to be fired. Well, firing means you have, you have to, to sell, sell him out. Have to, I mean, since they gave him ownership. They gave ownership to to a GM who won. They won exactly how many playoff series have they? Did they win? Zero. Zero. They've been terrible. That wasn't a question, right? You knew yeah. the answer. Oh yeah. Zero. They've been terrible for several years. They need a new ballpark. It's not fair. They play in a sewage system. They play in the same system that the Raiders are now going to Vegas. And the fact is they will probably get that ballpark now because they're going because the Raiders are going to Vegas. They need a new park. Another team that with one injury could really be the Cincinnati Reds is the Angels of Anaheim. Because they have no 
young talent. They have Simmons at shortstop. They have Crowd at, at center field. And they have Pujols at first base. But Pujols is more of an anchor than even Votto is. So you have such a big contract being thrown out to that. Marino will spend the money. Did nothing. Did nothing. They brought Josh Hamilton. Did nothing. They didn't pull, but they're but they're signing guys on the wrong side of thirty. It's the Billy King philosophy. I'm trying to keep your the difference is you don't have as many teams in baseball to make the playoffs. But my whole idea with with King and you see with the Nets who are just a debacle at this point is they traded all their youth to get veterans. I'm not sure the veterans were meant to get them to the championship or to keep them competitive enough so King keeps his job. Well, that's Billy Epler, and Billy Epler, remember, didn't sign these guys. Right, that's that was Jerry Depoto. That was Jerry Depoto, who's now in Seattle, who's doing very well in Seattle. And you think I don't know this stuff? I am shocked out of my mind, actually. But let's remember, even Jerry Depoto didn't sign Albert Pujols. No. Artie Moreno. That was an Artie Moreno move. Okay, Josh Hamilton, Artie Moreno move. Artie Moreno is the kind of Mark Cuban owner that you want. But the problem is he has no eye for talent. <laughs> and that's a bigger problem. That's a George Steinbrenner problem from the 80s. <laughs> okay, so we have the two worst teams. Who's the best team in the American League? Cleveland. Not who's going to win. Who's the best team in the American best League? Best team in the American League is Cleveland. Okay. And who's going to win in the American League? Cleveland. Who are going to take the wild cards in the American League? So you, so you have the Red Sox, the Indians, and the Astros. Who's going to take the wild cards? Texas and Toronto. I agree. Texas. Uh, actually, I'm sorry. No, I thought you'd take Seattle. I have Seattle and, and Seattle and Toronto. Okay. So go to the National League. We, we've determined the worst team. I have the worst team being the Padres. You have the worst team being the Brewers. And we both agree that the Reds are just the teams going to nowhere. Yeah. Not even pitching. Like, they signed Homer Bailey, and I'm, I'm sorry we're just throwing crap at the Reds, but they signed Homer Bailey after he was coming off Tommy John surgery and has done nothing. They, they just throw bad money after bad money. Okay, so we have, you have the Nationals, the Cubs, and I believe the Dodgers, right? And I think you have the Giants winning one of the, the wild cards. Who has the other? <coughs> Pretty much to me, it's a three-team race between the Giants, the Cardinals, and the Mets. Okay. I'm going to go with the Mets and the Giants. Okay. I'm going to go with the Mets and the Giants, too. But I don't think the Cardinals finish number two. I think the Pirates do. And I know that's a problem, but I think the Cardinals take a step back. You think, you think McCutcheon comes back a little bit? You think Derek Cole comes back from injury? I do. But I think more to the point, I think the Cardinals take a step back. I don't think that the Cardinals – so they have Carlos Martinez. They have a lot of good players. They just are not the team that they were before. I think losing Matt Holiday, albeit a guy that was on his last limbs, is a their their pitching staff is just not great. I mean, Waka's been hurt, Wainwright's been hurt, Lance Lynn has been hurt, Mike Leak is an average player at best. Carlos Martinez. They're an older team. Yadier Molina is their linchpin. Nothing in this team. They're kind of like the Mets. They have more talent on the on the hitting side. But you tell me, at least the Mets have Cespedes. 
Okay, yeah. they have a guy they steer <clears throat> into the lineup. I'm going to go down this whole lineup for you. Their starting lineup, and you tell me what what player you are scared of. Yadier Molina starts at catcher. Their first baseman is Matt Carpenter. The second baseman is Jed Jerko. Their third baseman, their shortstop is Almidas Diaz. Their third baseman is Johnny Peralta. Their outfield is Dexter Fowler, Randall Krinich, and Steve Piscotti. Where? Right, but where are you scared of this team? You're not. No. Nowhere in here. They are a bunch of average players. And if you look at the Pittsburgh Pirate team, there are guys that you were scared of. You're scared of Starling Marte. You're scared of Gregor Polanco if he comes if he starts doing what he's doing. You're scared of McCutcheon. There are guys that you are legitimately scared of on that team. So, I I, I just I just don't see that the Cardinal way is the Cardinal way. I just don't see the Cardinal way winning this year. And I think the Mets, while not one of the best five teams in baseball, are uh, in the National League. Definitely have an advantage in that they're playing in a such a crappy division. Other than them, and with the Fernandez, with Fernandez, unfortunately dead, Florida takes a huge step. I mean, look, there's no nice way to put it. <laughs> Not unfortunately passed away. Unfortunately, he was doing was drunk while running the boat. Um, you know, that kills that. That's going to kill Florida baseball for several for a while. I agree. Phillies in Atlanta are both building for 2019, 2020. So you're agree it's it's a two team race and the other teams are just bad. Okay, so World Series participants, I have Cleveland. Oh, I hate doing the National League because it's the Mets. Um, I'm going to take Cleveland and the Dodgers, and Cleveland winning it all. In a, in a, I'm going to. I'm not going to. I'm going to go a little bit. I'm going to go with a little bit of a surprise, I think. You got Houston? No, I have Cleveland. Okay, right. But I'm actually going with Washington. That's not a surprise. I was trying to go away from them. (laughs) Well, I think, look, the Cubs are the overwhelming favorite. I think the Dodgers are the number two. And I like what, you know, this is for the first time in a few years, Washington's not under the radar, but they're not being propped up to the same degree that they were previously. And I kind of like that for this team. Um, I like Cleveland over Washington. And Sean's making some kind of weird. Oh, okay. So Sean got kicked off because they wants me to talk more about this. So, you know, Cleveland, excuse me. We we didn't talk too much about the world series of last year, because there's really no need, but you look at Cleveland. They have the, one of the top five pitchers in baseball in Corey Kluber. They have, in Encarnacion at first, they have Francisco Lindor. They have so much talent. Michael Brantley should be back. And this is a team that I think, look, at, just like similar to watching Carolina last, last night, this is a team that's, gonna, that's coming in thinking, look, we should have won it last year. There's no reason we're going to be better this year. There's Agreed. no reason to think otherwise. Okay, so you're MVPs. So National League. I almost want to say Joey Votto just for the sake of it, but I won't. Joey Votto will not win. I understand. He won one. Yes. He won one. I know he did. Okay. That was the last time the Reds were rolled. Agreed. Um, MVP. Seager. 
That's who I was going with. Are you kidding me? No. I was like, it's not going to be Bryce Harper. No. It's not going to be Chris Bryant, although it could. You know what? I'll go for something different. I'm going to pick Anthony Rizzo. Okay? I think Rizzo could certainly win the MVP in in Chicago. So I'll take Anthony Rizzo just to be a little different. Okay. In the American League, I think we have to go away from the Mike Trout because we assume Mike Trout's going to win. Who can challenge Mike Trout? So if you're not picking Mike Trout, who are you picking? There's three good names that come to mind. Manny Machado, Carlos Correa, and Francisco Lindor. And none of those three were on my list. Okay. So are you, I like all three of them, but I don't see any. But of them. Machado can't because Baltimore is not going anywhere. Sure. Lindor is not going to win it because there's just too much talent on Cleveland, and it'll be a little bit difficult. Okay. So I, based on that, I'll go with Carlos Correa. Okay. So I had three guys, too, and absolutely none of them were named those three. So my three guys were Edwin Encarnacion, Mookie Betts, or Josh Donaldson, all of which would be on playoff teams. And I'm going to pick Encarnacion. Now, I know that Cleveland has a lot of talent. I get it. But I think he's going to put up monster numbers in that. He put up great numbers last year, 40 homers and over 120 RBIs. I mean, you're looking – monster. And he's angry. Monster numbers. Right. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry? You wouldn't like this guy when he's angry. He thinks he, he thinks he got gypped on his deal. Monster numbers. So I'm picking Encarnacion. Okay. Cy Young Award winner, and you're going to be surprised by mine. I am picking Chris Archer. You think Tampa's going to be good? No, I think Chris Archer will be good. This is a Steve Carlton 1972 deal? I'm thinking he goes 19-9 and with a last-place team because I don't think the Cy Young has to come from a winning team. I think... Look, Cy, uh, Chris, uh, Chris Archer, you're, you're comparing to Steve Carlton. Steve Carlton pitched in like 50 games that year. That's not fair to compare anybody to possibly a top three lefty of all time. So this is a Felix Hernandez. Yes. Yes. I think he wins 19 games with a third-place team but throws over 200 strikeouts and has a 2.5 ERA coming off a 9-19 and year last year where he got no run support. I am going to go with Cole Hamels. Um, we'll be we, on a playoff team, according to you. Yes. And it, it will be, comp- and at a minimum will be competitive for a playoff, which I do think is important. We, we, we've kind of fussed around with Hamels over the years, how good he could be, how good he is. Yeah. You know, he was a number two or number three with Philly during those great Roy Halladay teams. Him and Darvish are one, two in Texas. And I just get the feeling that he just do for that year. Okay. We got five. We got about six minutes left, so we're gonna have to push through these. Uh, with the with the National League, can we do the Mike Trout for Clayton Kershaw? Because anybody but Kershaw. Him. Yeah, we we can avoid anybody, anybody but Kershaw. Anybody but I'm Kershaw. picking Arietta because he's in a walk year, and I think that when you're in a walk year, you're angry, much the same way as Encarnacion. I'm picking Strasburg. Well, if Washington's going to win it. Yeah. He and Scherzer got to be 1-2. No exactly. question about it. Okay. And Manager of the year, I don't think we need to go into that. How about rookie of the year? I'm taking Benedini. As am I. For the Red Sox. And in the National League, wow, there aren't many. I was going to say, I don't know who I would be thinking. I'm taking Trey Turner from Washington, 
who was their second baseman. Base. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense to me. I don't really have a huge – I don't really have anyone off the top of my head for National for National okay. Rookie of the Year. So we got five minutes left. I'll go first. We mentioned Pedro Guerrero uh, earlier in the show. Pedro Guerrero, for those that do not remember, in the 1980s was Jonas Cespedes for all intents and purposes. He was a flamboyant guy that – really needed, or more like a Jose Batista, I think. A guy that was a bopper that just needed a position. They couldn't find one because he wasn't a great, he wasn't a great fielder at any point. He played first, he played third, he played outfield. Serrano is a better one. (laughs) But he was the guy on both the Dodgers and the Cardinals before Jack Clark that was the guy. You were not afraid of anybody on the Cardinals that could hit one out because the Cardinals were the Vince Coleman, the Willie McGee, the Tommy Hurd, the Terry Pendleton. Wow, I just think I can name everybody. The, the, I think I just named most of them. I can't remember the catcher. I think it was uh, Porter. No, Porter was 82. Tom Lawless was the, was the catcher in 85. No, but I'll look it up while you go. But, but Pedro Guerrero was that guy, and unfortunately he had a stroke. And there are reports that he has passed away as opposed to died. <laughs> Sorry that my, my partner is so much classier than I am. And uh, it's a shame because in any other – I think, you know what, if he was playing today in a, in a heavy offensive league, if he was playing in New York, he's a Hall of Famer. The problem is he played on a Cardinal team where there was no power. And he played in a powerless Fred McGriff years. The Jack Clark years. I mean, so anyway, um, yeah, unfortunately he is probably going to pass away very soon. And uh, I I really liked watching him. So uh, I'm going to get you that catcher in a second. By the way, Joaquin Andujar and John Tudor were the two guys. So the catcher was Tom Nieto. Darrell Porter played in 84 games. Nieto played in 95. And lo- oh, Mike Lavalle, that was the guy I was thinking. Michael Lavalle was the catcher for the Pirates. Agreed, but he started on that team in 85. He was traded from the Cardinals to the Pirates the next year in in a big deal, and I can't remember who he was traded for, but I'm going to get that. So he was traded for Andy Van Slyke and Tony Pena. He was in the Andy Van Slyke deal. So Tony Pena went back to St. Louis, and Andy Van Slyke went to Pittsburgh with Mike Lavalle. Anyway, you're up. you got three minutes left. Just something interesting that was released no more than ten minutes ago. Talk about how the world has changed. You know who just, did you see who just won the rights to Thursday Night Football? Twitter? Amazon. Does that mean we have to, like, Buy Amazon. One year, fifty million. No, that's just for live streaming. For live streaming, yeah. It's not going to be. We could still watch. Yeah, you, we could still we could still watch those wonderful Jaguars Ravens games. One year, fifty million. The games will be streamed on Amazon Prime. Can you imagine this? Twenty years ago, or five years ago. Can you imagine hosting a radio show 10, 15 years ago? By the way, ninety seconds left. Oh, fifteen years ago, if this, if this was available, I was talking with some. You know, who knows. Maybe we'd be hosting a radio show with more than, well, my, my son and the dog running around while we do it. But this is a lot more. This is still a lot of fun. Um, pretty interesting, to say the least. 
Uh, I'm not really you. I'm, we can always talk about WrestleMania for 30 seconds, but the Undertaker's retiring. He's 52 years old. It's probably is he time. Retired? I think so. Is it over? Yeah, it was Sunday night. Yeah, but is it over? <laughs> you remember, this is a man that rises from the dead. <laughs> well, I'm not sure who's going to go longer, the Undertaker or us on this radio show. Well, him, you know, he's died at least 75 times. I mean, the Undertaker has, has a quality that you and I do not have. It's called immortality. <laughs> that is true. So, okay, next week we'll talk a little bit more NBA because we have not talked NBA at all this entire year. So, for Seth Kamins, this is Sean Palmer, backsportspage.com. Enjoy next week. I'll be out working. Oh, that's right. Happy Passover to all. And to all, a good, good night. night. <laughs> oh, boy, oh, boy.